0: Will the judges who will be deciding this genuinely understand the ramifications of the technology, or will they be like, I like using it as a consumer?
1: You seem like you don't know what you're doing. It's a strange conclusion, but I I have heard of this before. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode six of Barside. Really excited. We've got a lot to talk about today. But before we dive into the topic of the day, uh, I wanted to give a few shout outs to folks who have been giving us a lot of kind words on social media. Um, and so I'll walk through a few of them. And I know that Matt and Cece, you know, we've all kind of looked at them. But first, uh, follow up from last week Emily Stedman, who's a partner at Hush Blackwell. Uh, she wrote a series of hilarious tweets last night. I think Matt, you saw it first, right? On Twitter. I saw
2: it like in real time. Um, and there was like one where it was like addressing I think I had said like billing 2400 hours that's not doesn't sound fun. And she just like roasted me right there. It was great. It was great to watch that in real time.
1: Yeah, it's you know, it's it's really interesting because you know, we we see these people post on on uh, on social media. And I don't even know if I, I actually commented or liked. Emily's post in the first place, but obviously we all saw it. And CC, you were the one who added it to the agenda. But um, sounds like she's a fan of the podcast. So, so thank you, Emily, for the for the hilarious series of tweets. Um, who else? Who else? So, bryson and Malcolm. Uh, this was on LinkedIn. He's the founder of Mosaic Search Partners. I think he's a ex big law. Um, and he called us the most entertaining triumvirate in the world of legal social media. So. I don't know. I, I was nervous about... I had to recite this a bit. Do you all know how to pronounce it?
0: I, I thought it was like triumvirate. But I actually... <laughs> triumvirate? That sounds right. I'm, I'm going to go with that.
2: Internet has rotted my brain, so I don't think I could pronounce it even if I wanted to. So, But shout out, man. Thank you for the nice words.
1: <laughs> yeah, Bryson. Thank you for the shout out. Um, and anyone, if you know how to pronounce this word, uh, send us a message. I don't know. I, you could DM me. Uh, I, I'm terrible at pronouncing words because I read more than I... Uh, hear people yeah
2: we get thousands of emails about this
0: i i got it wait so my uh, do you guys know like uh, harry potter growing up i actually thought that hermione was like hermione for the longest time because that's how it seemed right in my head and i feel like triumvirate is like one of those words where i'm like that seems right but
2: who knows maybe it's hermione i gotta i have to say something because that exact okay so my biggest fear is pronouncing something when you have kids like you sometimes will pronounce things that the way they pronounce it you know it'd be just right Alex it just becomes like a word I am so afraid that I'm gonna pronounce something wrong not because it's like funny but because I don't know how to pronounce it and one day my kids get to go to school and they're gonna be like it's pronounced like this and I and then I that's how I learn I've been pronouncing it wrong for years um, that's a fear of mine this has nothing to do with the podcast but if you also have this fear please let me know uh, in the comments or send us an email
1: yeah we I, I mispronounce words on purpose to mimic my daughter, my five year old. So that's probably like, bun- we don't say button, we say bunton. Uh, so this, that's, that's
0: bunton.
1: I know. Bunton. Yeah. Press the bunton. Uh, so, yeah, pronunciation, hard for the podcast uh, host. So please, please let us know how to pronounce words. Um, spe- so, speaking of shout outs, so the last one I, I'm going to point out is uh, Nick Rishwain, who um, I think it was this morning. Who, Nick is the VP of BizDev and Relations at Experts.com. They provide, I think, um, experts for litigation. And and so he's, he's a lawyer by training. And he said, uh, he gave us a shout out on Twitter and said, uh, they're refreshing conversations on the practice of law with legal tech factored in. Uh, he himself is a podcast host of Legal Tech Live, which I think he's taken a pause from. But he used to interview founders and um, has always been focused on diversity and just trying to uh, amplify voices in legal tech. So thank you, Nick, for that. That kind shout-out.
2: Shout-out, Nick. Um, I'm, I'm going to check out experts.com. I need experts sometimes. I mean, this is not a sponsored thing. They're not sponsoring us.
1: Um, but I will check them out. But if you give us a shout-out.
0: I always wanted to be an expert witness because it kind of seemed like a fun role. And in mock trial in high school, that was like my role that I played. And yeah, you get paid so much money. It's crazy.
2: Like when I was... So the joke I always like to make is like, you know Pawn Stars? You know that show Pawn Stars? were like. No. What? Yeah, you know, like the pawn shop. Cece, do you know Pawn
0: Stars? Where you like go pawn things? Cece,
2: we have some homework after this episode.
1: <laughs> no, I haven't watched the show either. i seen, it's the one with the meme, right? The best I could offer you?
2: Yes. Okay, so Cece, this is perfect. So Cece, in this show, it is a pawn shop in like Las Vegas. And this family owns the pawn shop. And every time someone walks in with the most obscure thing you've ever seen in your entire life, they're like, Hey, like, I have this like toilet seat from the seventeen sixties. Like, and 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 it's always the same way. The guy who runs the pawn shop's like, Let me get my toilet expert. My and then some guy just shows up and he's like, Yeah, I'm actually an expert in night in seventeen sixties toilets. He's like, It's only worth a couple thousand dollars. I'm sorry. And he's like, best I could do is and that's like the best I can do is maybe like five grand for that old toilet seat. And that's the show in a nutshell. That's the entire show. And I imagine being an expert in something that obscure must be so great because it's like you're going to court because I've been there. I've hired experts for like gobs of money where it's like, hi, I'm an expert in uh, clown cars. And um, that is my expertise is in clown cars. Um, I would like my giant check uh, for $10 million after. Thank you so much. And that was always my dream too, to be the clown guy.
0: It can still happen matt i believe in you Uh,
1: don't you give me this hope don't you do
0: this
1: (laughs) well well thank you nick uh now we know who to talk to if we want to get placed as an expert uh again not a sponsored post but thank you nick for the shout out uh okay 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 we gotta move on we gotta move on because we have so much to talk about um this next thing that we want to talk about Cc, i'll let you kick this off because it's from, I think, uh, an email from a listener.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I got an email from Jimmy asking for our thoughts on this article from 2016, actually. So he was like, it's a bit dated, but curious to get your thoughts. And in this article, um, a legal recruiter writes that Yale Law School graduates take jobs in academia and government instead of prestigious law firms to maximize rent seeking in their career. And kind of opines on this phenomenon that when he receives resumes from yls grads he's just like it seems like you're aimless it seems like you have no real direction in life like i don't really know what you're doing uh and definitely coming from this angle that like big law is the maximizing route to take in your career and academia and government aren't which is like okay Yeah, I was like, not going to comment on why somehow big law is like the goal of a legal career, but whatever. Um, But then he was like, okay, well, I'm thinking about it a bit more. And maybe it's because the positions are competitive and also offer relative security. uh, Because, you know, you don't get fired as much from government jobs, you don't get fired from academia as much. They're hard to get into, but once you're in there, you can kind of like sit back a little. And I think from everything I know about government jobs, this is like relatively true. And definitely for academia, once you actually get tenure, right? But like the time before getting that government job, the time before getting tenure, it's, it's a slog. Like, I don't actually think it's a fun time for a lot of the people there.
2: Agreed. Yeah. And you're definitely right. Like once you get into those kinds of spaces, I'm a former government attorney, it's like the lateral game. So then like, especially in academia, right? You're a teacher at XYZ school, you go to the next school, Maybe at another school eventually, if that's your kind of your path, um, government too, and, and I, but I I don't know. Like I want to go back a second. Like they seem aimless. Your Yale students seem aimless. I don't I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that statement. Like these 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 individuals go to a top top law school. They spend all this time, all this energy, getting the best LSAT scores and getting the best kind of resume and the best everything. And they go to these schools and they're like. You seem like you don't know what you're doing. And it's it's just a crazy concept today.
1: me. It's a strange conclusion, but I, I have heard of this uh, stereotype before of that Yale students tend to be um, those who don't really fit into the corporate environment. And maybe I heard them mainly from the big law set, you know, the big law partners. But um, it does feel like they do have a lot of options because everyone – Sees Yale as a very special place in terms of like um, you know the lawyers that it produces, and so uh, a lot of these firms they think well it would be great to get one Yale grad, uh, and then you know all the firms fight over them, and then these these folks, and I will tell you the stereotype at least I won't I won't name names or or firms, but like they always there's this belief that you know graduates of other schools are better even though they may not have the best better grades or LSAT because they are more focused on uh working hard in a corporate environment that's the that's the stereotype that i heard
0: no but only to a certain degree because with that logic, I'm always like, man, the people who are not getting the big law recruiting opportunities are actually the ones who are most likely to really, really work hard at those big law jobs. But that's not really how the recruiting committees usually think of it. It's like, okay, Yale, they're kind of off in their own world. But like, I don't know, T14, and then below that, they're like, mm, I don't know, they just don't seem that dedicated. There's like this weird uh, double standard with everything.
2: You just—that's exactly where I was going. I'm so confused because I'm a—I went to Florida State University, Go Knowles um gunnels um i went to florida state like this doesn't a lot of big law i mean don't get me wrong like there were big law ocis and whatnot but like it's not like everyone big law maybe like a few people in my class went big law that we we weren't like the thought like and i think to your point they're like if if someone interviewing saw like a, a u chicago grad or a yale grad or harvard grad, they're like they're dedicated they're there and then they look at us you're right they're like What did they get on there all set? (laughs) Like, I don't know, like snooting, like pinky in the air. And it's just, this whole thing is so foreign to me because coming from like a smaller regional law school background, like I assumed if you went to any top school, every big law firm's like, you're in, like you're in, this is, this person's dedicated. It's, I don't know. It's like such a strange, I'm like trying to wrap my mind around this and it's, I'm having a lot of trouble.
1: I'm going to give you the flip side of this, which is maybe, and this may give a, a sense of what um, uh, how Yale students think, and I don't know if this CC if this was true at HLS, but before I went to law school, and I wasn't sure what law school I ended up at, before I went to law school, I met with someone who was like who went to undergrad at one of the top schools, right? like like a Stanford or something. And I remember telling her, like, "Oh, I plan to go to law school and I would love to work for a big firm. That's my career goal." And then she kind of looked at me and she said, "That's it." That's what you want to do. And I remember thinking, like, do you know how much these people make? Do you know this is the top of the profession uh, in a very well-regarded, like, job? Like, it's a lawyer job, and you're at the top of the profession. You're making a lot of money. Like, what do you mean that's it? And then, you know, I kind of said something diplomatically, like, try to defend myself. And I remember her saying to me, um, well, anybody can get one of those corporate jobs. You got to find, you know, you got to do something that has more impact.
2: Fight that person right now. You give me their information their address i'm there what i i I did not get a single oci when i say didn't get an oci i did not get a callback i didn't get an interview people didn't look at me in the hallways
0: (laughs) you were invisible actually that was the problem
2: oh i knew it it goes back to harry potter i had the cloak on like oh it's classic the cloak was actually like a b minus average that's actually what the cloak was um but that's that's crazy. We fought for those jobs in smaller law firms. We would love to have gotten those jobs, those corporate jobs. A lot of my friends ended up in insurance defense, ended up in smaller regional firms, ended up in government. I ended up in government eventually, which was honestly like a fantastic experience. Um, a lot of people wanted to get those jobs to work at a Holland and a Knight or a Greenberg they, I I say these schools because those are the schools, or sorry, the firms that were coming to our school, they would have killed for those jobs. It was so hard. I, it's just, it's like just such a dissonance here, and it blows my mind.
1: Cece, I'm curious to get your perspective because you you went to HLS. Did 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 HLS people have this uh, view towards big law jobs or uh, or not?
0: Okay, so at HLS, the prevailing mindset was actually, if you don't totally screw up your interviews, you're gonna get a big law job, and then with that as kind of your base, what else would you do? So people start doing things like maybe do OCI, but then uh, look for public interest jobs or do like honors program for government. Uh, It's nice that it's the floor for the most part. And I think that gave people a little bit more confidence to do things like, I don't know, I know a couple people who decided to run for office like Congress right away after graduating. Uh, It just kind of gives you a greater confidence I think to get a little more creative but that's not to say that there weren't people who were like this is the dream this is the goal and I think what actually bothers me both about the article that we were talking about and your friend Alex is that they have this attitude that what they think is the goal the point is the only goal or point right like Um, for the legal recruiter, he's like, okay, big law, it's definitely the, uh, the real point of law school. And for your friend, it was like something else beyond a tried and true corporate path, no matter how difficult it can be. Uh, And that's kind of the goal. And I feel like I am a little bit this is a personal vendetta because one time I read a Reddit thread about me, which you should never do, but it kind of was saying like, wow, I can't believe she left big law. And like, this was such a stupid thing to do. She left all that money. And then someone else was like, well, I think probably when she was picking law schools, she had greater hopes for herself than just, you know, working six years and then going off to write a book. And I was like, uh...
2: <laughs> what is going on? What is going on in this thread? What is a psychoanalysis right here of your life? These random anonymous fucking Reddit tweet or uh, Reddit posters.
0: But I think the thing that's interesting is when I think about my life, I'm like, no, I like when I was 12, I wanted to write a book. And then I had to do these other things in order to get to the spot. But it just depends on like what you think the honestly, for the most part, it's like what they want their career to be like, right? Like this legal recruiter, maybe he really wants to be a big law partner. Maybe he's actually kind of mad that he's not a big law partner. And your friend probably wants, you know, thinks that the best thing you can do in life is to be an entrepreneur and like start something big.
1: This kind of reminds me of, there's a saying about rich people or wealthy people, rich people who say, uh, and the quote is something along the lines of like, to people who have money, everything is always about money. And and that's not always true in life, right? You know, there's a lot of things you want to optimize for. And what I find fascinating about this article is that the idea that the only way to be successful is to take some type of linear path in an established firm and make a lot of money and quote unquote generate a lot of economic value. Um, And and you know, my perspective on this, and you you both know this um, because you know me, but like I think that there are ways to. Go off the beaten path to jump ahead to create that economic value. So, uh, I've written about this in my newsletter before. But if you take someone like a Joe Tsai, who's like you know Yale law school grad who uh, ended up becoming the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, um, you know he left big law to to do some some strange thing that I'm sure this recruiter would have said, oh this guy's just throwing everything away and just like not making much money. But he ended up doing a bunch of finance jobs and ended up on the founding team of Alibaba. Unbelievable. So yeah, so then they went public and and so um, and then you have other people like John Kecker, again, Yale law school grad who um, instead of going to big law, he became a public defender. Lord knows what this recruiter would have said would have said about him, but because he did that, he gained these skills um to to kind of create value later on a, as a, you know, forming a, a boutique uh, white collar defense firm. And so like there's like lots of stories like these like both in business and in politics. Um, you know, my sense of it and, and you know, I, I don't know what you all think about this, but I have always viewed people who go to really good schools um, as people who have entitlement. And at first, that might seem like it's a bad thing, which it can be in certain environments, right? You think that you deserve more than you, you've you quote-unquote earned. But it also means that they have these expectations that they're going to do big things. And so um, when you look at someone from Yale who like goes off and does a government job, it could be that they are just trying to be a rent seeker. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what their motivations are. But it also very well could be like, I don't know, Cory Booker, who, who you know, decided to uh, go work at a nonprofit as a staff staff attorney to to run for office, uh, to run for mayor of, of Newark, um, and then later become a US senator. So I think that um, it's very short sighted to look at someone's job and to say, oh, they're doing this like nonprofit thing. They're doing this government thing. And they're just like, not creating value.
2: Agreed. Agreed. I, it's, again, I just go back to like, in a small, smaller law firm, right, or not law firm, a uh, law school, right, smaller law firm below the T14. Like, I, it's funny the mindset kind of changes because I think for a lot of people going to these schools, the goal is to get those jobs. The goal is to get those big law jobs. The goal is to get. I mean, not for everybody, right? Like, plenty of people want to go into public interest just the same way. But like, I'm, I, I feel like I'm coming, I'm going back a second because I'm riling from this conversation because it's so foreign to me. It's so foreign coming from this kind of background, where it wasn't, I can get any job or I can get any like really big law job. So I'm going to go in this path. It's, I'm going in this path, maybe because that was a passion, but otherwise it's because I couldn't get a job. up. Cause I, cause like, I have plenty of friends that luckily in Tallahassee, the government is there. So they went, I, I was a government attorney as well. Like the job market sucked. It kind of wasn't great. And we ended up going into certain kinds of government jobs and we thrived and we did really well. I had, a, I worked for an attorney who went to, Really, a law school arguably like on the lower rank, and fought to get the jobs that they got, and fought to get build the book. I think it's funny the difference here, where it's like some of these jobs become necessity because otherwise I got I got to pay my loans back, I got to pay my bills, and it's interesting hearing the perspective of being at some of the top schools where I'm taking the jobs that these other jobs, these public interest jobs, these nonprofit jobs that maybe are paying lower salaries because I want to because I don't because I can go work at Cravath but I don't need to work at Cravath and it's it's real. it's just so interesting it's interesting to have this conversation because it really is eye opening for me the difference um between these kind of rungs of law school and it's it's just it's fascinating that and and again any path you take you don't have to create economic value and all of a sudden you're you know if you're creating value all of a sudden you're just like not fucking worth it which is the stupidest thing on the fucking planet sorry for cursing I just find this is insane of a concept um so I just wanted to bring it back, but like, I'm sorry, I'm riling from this one and I'm having trouble. Like every time, every time we do this podcast, there's always a topic that I sit here with you guys. And I'm like, 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 just like, I'm like, I like pause and I'm like trying to reel like the hamsters in my brain and have not ran this fast in years. So I appreciate it, guys.
0: Yeah. Anytime, Matt. Yeah, I think um, the part I got hung up on is it is so easy sometimes to do the next top, like step to get a job like you know sometimes it's hard to find a job. but I think we're all looking for at the end of the day what we would do if we were like trust fund babies right and I feel like the point of amassing prestige schools, money, all of that I've recently realized the point is to be able to put yourself in a position to be like, oh my dad is like I don't know Steve Schwartz. what would I do now with my life? Given that fact. And that's like the best thought experiment, I think, that anyone can ask themselves. And, you know, you can't do that right away. You'll probably have to work up to it, but that should at least be a helpful direction.
2: Can I ask you guys what you would do? Because I know what I would do, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts.
1: I have a lot of things I would do. I, I think it would involve memes, it would involve something creative, but it uh, would also involve something I think that I actually am very close to what that would be I, I I'm very lucky in terms of my work and I think it always hasn't been that way in my career because I think I optimized you know paying off my loans saving up for a wedding things like that but over time I've got I feel like I've gotten closer to it um I'm curious what yours is Matt CC, do you want to go before I go oh he wants to save it Cece
0: <laughs> it's too good it's just humble it's very humble I love that. So yeah, I would honestly probably be doing what I'm doing right now, except also be able to like maybe form a production company and fund my own films and TV shows that I want to get made. But I would probably just keep on writing, writing books, pitching shows, like trying to work in this creative space. I just like love storytelling and media.
2: I'm adding that to mine. Actually, that part. I, I would do the, I would also pitch shows in a production because and, and, I've always wanted like a legal comedy and like Alex, we've talked about this. Like, right? Like shows that we want to watch. Um, so what I would do is I would open up a coffee shop. Um, maybe it's Lucky Goat. Shout out Tallahassee to Lucky Goat. It's a great coffee shop. This is not sponsored. I just really like them. I would open up a coffee shop that arguably is a failing business. what just- No, I'm fine with it not producing any money. I just want to be there.
0: That's true. You have a trust fund.
2: That's it. I want to be there. And economically, it makes no sense. People think I'm insane. And I sit there every day and I re- and I drink my coffee, too much coffee. So every day I'm like on the verge of passing out. And I want to do that with my family and just hang out and drink coffee all day for the rest of my life. If I had enough money, that's what I would do. And I'm not saying like it's an easy job because I would be failing. The business would fail. But the trust fund keeps it going. That is my, that's that's my dream.
1: That's my true dream. So you're saying you want to be a, a, a founder of a VC backed startup? That's what you're saying, right? We might have to edit that out. I might get in trouble for that. I don't know. I might get in trouble for that.
2: All right. We need. A, I need a second. Hold on a second. That was really fucking good. No, we're not editing that one out. Everyone listening to that one, that was fucking great. That's one of our clips for the week. Oh my god. Uh, Answers yes. I want to be a. I want to be a VC backed company. Uh, VC backed coffee. So it's coffee as a service. It's a CAS.
1: I think it's great that you've actually taken the time to think through like what you would want to do. I think a lot of people don't. They are on the treadmill. We are on the treadmill of like need to hit that next milestone, you know, need to make more money, need to save up more money and get wealthy. But what comes at the end? And, you know, I think for me, I very early on in my career, I realized like I just love the the I want to do something with persuasion. And so for me, uh, I think the the reason why I have less interest in something like producing a TV show or, or, you know, a comedy is that at the end of the day, unless it's like, you know, unless it's like tied to sales, um, it's less interesting to me. And that's why I think I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I wanted to go in front and just like persuade people to do things. Uh, and then of course I went and became a litigation associate and reviewed documents. But, but that's why I went to, you know, I went to tech and I, you know, did sales because I, and marketing, cause I thought that's, that's what I enjoy. And I, I think most of us generally have a sense of what we enjoy in the broad sense. And then, you know, as we hopefully, uh, Save up money, you know. Get older, become like quasi trust fund babies ourselves. We could get moved closer to that.
2: Just to clarify, to be, the difference between me and Alex is Alex is like my dream is to create economic value, and mine is like I want to destroy all of it. <laughs> I don't want to produce any of
0: it. <laughs> no, Matt, you want to enjoy it, and that's that's, right. that's actually the point of life. Um, but it's funny you say that, Alex, about like being drawn to being a trial attorney because you wanted to persuade. I I think for like law is so varied there are so many different skills involved that if you like to like everyone can probably find something that they like to do as a lawyer and I'm a firm believer of that like I Persuading is such a weird skill to me that I don't love, but all more power to you, you, Alex. But I like love the investigation. I love the storytelling. And so it's kind of easy to see how like we took the pivots that we did from both right. being like litigation associates. Like there were both elements of litigation that we liked, but then we liked these different elements that then made like the next step different and the next step different. And then now we're, I mean, I'm disappointed you don't want to join my production company, but it's okay.
2: It's because he's joining my law firm, CC. Listen. See, look at that. We have continuity in episodes. You see that, guys? Listeners? You didn't think that was gonna happen, but we did it. <laughs> we figured it out. <laughs> um we're, did we all start as litigators, all three of us? Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I didn't appreciate that. I and and kind of add on that, like I like the deal making. I like the deals getting to mediation or like when some of these cases where there was like insurance, that's why I kinda like insurance. For insurance, it's it's getting all the pieces together of these different insurance companies and figuring out what each party can provide. This is on the defense side and getting to a resolution that makes sense for everybody. That's what I liked. That's why I ended up liking in-house work because a lot of it was deals, making deals, not just between, you know, a counterparty and myself, but between salespeople, between marketing people, between different departments. Cause I'm like, all right, what do you want? What do you want? I want this. All right. Well, I want this. Let's, eh, let's work it out. Let's figure it out together. I didn't. I didn't appreciate that. We all kind of did that. We all took our litigation skills and we're like, eh, fuck this. Let's do something else.
1: <laughs> so you're going to be a coffee shop owner slash deal maker, and enter- you could be the like Ari Gold. Like you get that could be a, your your future career. Yeah.
2: Listen, guys. All I want to do is when I want to be so caffeinated that when you call me, the phone is shaking. <laughs> That's all I want. I just want to be highly caffeinated, frantic, but enjoying the life I have. I know that sounds bizarre. People, listening singers like that's a terrible dream. But for me, that's, that's it. I hit Nirvana. Um,
1: Hey, Matt, can I ask you a question though? You mentioned, you mentioned earlier, like a goat coffee. Lucky goat. What's that? This is not
2: a sponsor. I have to keep fucking saying the CC. I feel like every time (laughs) this is, (laughs) we talked about this before the episode. So lucky goat. And the reason I I speak so fondly, and I wonder if you guys ever had this as well. And like you're in where you went to college, but like, I went to Tallahassee Tala- for Florida State and I went there for undergrad, a master's in law degree. And throughout that entire process, Lucky Goat, which was the small coffee shop that did like cold brew. And I think they had nitro before anyone else, nitro cold brew. I'm such for a- we're such millennials that we're like talking about coffee. Um, that's what kept me going. Like that was it. And I have these fond memories of sitting in those coffee shops with my wife and um, studying and, and thinking up the future and the ideas and what we wanted to do in the you know what what our lives what we wanted them to become. I have such fond memories of those times and I think that's that's kind of why I that's like the dream for me is to get to that point but at the end as opposed to when we started in college thinking about what our future is going to look like being in that coffee shop but I own it and we're sitting there and my family owns it and we sit there and we're laughing and we're like we did it. Um, and I, I'm getting like nostalgic, not nostalgic. I'm getting kind of like emotional talking about it, but like that for me is like the perfect, I'm such a sucker for sappy endings. That's like the ending for me that would make the most sense. And that's why I say lucky Go because for me, um, that is, that is like, that's the memory. That's the nostalgia for me. And I'm, I'm longing for that at the end, at least. And I want everyone in my life to enjoy it. Oh, man, I just made myself almost cry. I'm feeling really emotional now,
0: guys. Matt, I'm like already writing the screenplay in my head. I'm like seeing how the shots will go. So you're going to have to sign over your life rights to me very soon.
2: Dude, I'm going to get so outlawed right now. I'm so excited for this. I'm like, yeah, I can make deals. I'm getting crushed by CC right after this.
1: All right. Well, we know the goal now is to get you to get create that coffee shop. That's that's the end goal. Um.
0: Really quickly, though, just so that people know that we are on top of the Times. We are hip with it. (laughs) So I actually, I mean, I think everyone knows that uh, New York Times has sued OpenAI, right? Uh, This happened on December 27th, which as I was reading over the complaint, I was like, December 27th. And then I was like, oh, my God, December 27th. Uh, The firm that uh, is representing New York Times, Sussman Godfrey, is kind of like known as a litigation, like a high stakes Litigation, like God, and the fact that they filed this complaint on December twenty seventh really goes to show how much procedure they use in their litigation. Because that is like a dead period. Like if you weren't aware that something was happening before Christmas, you kind of just assume that between Christmas and New Year's, you're you're offline. You can enjoy life. But to get something on the twenty seventh, like basically the day after, uh, all of these associates got phone calls, got emails. We're like, we can't wait five days because we only have a certain number of days to write our response. So you have to start now. You thought you were gonna have this time with your family?
2: Jokes. It's like my favorite joke to make as like, um, like it's an in-house joke, but applied here. It's like, what'd you guys get for the holidays? Oh, I got a car. What'd you get for the holidays? I got a watch. What'd you get for the holidays? Uh, motion to dismiss. Oh. You're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, that's brutal. First off, it's brutal. Um, and exactly what you expect because this case has tremendous, tremendous implications. I mean, depending on where it goes, a classic New York, you know, times case that sets the precedent for these kinds of issues. And I've read the complaint. I think I just want to say it made me laugh that like, um, they found a way to like recreate these articles through open, you know, through ChatGPT. like a certain prompt, you get to that point and it's like oh, this is paywall. And you're like, not so fast. Here it is. For the most part. Like, I think there was like a couple words that were changed out. But this has, to go back, this has some serious, serious implications on AI, on copyright, on IP general. I mean, it's it's a big case.
0: Yeah, and... It reminds me, uh, you know, people who are familiar with tech and copyright cases. When Google Books first came out in like the early 2000s, and that was like one of the big copyright cases of the, you know, 2005 to 2015 range, it took 10 years to litigate. And the central issue was similar in that does Google have the right to basically ingest all of these books and then display it when you search for certain like certain search terms and shows these search terms in these books
1: i remember a couple weeks ago cc when we did our end of year recap i think you you had commented that you know the law moves a lot more slowly than tech and like this generative ai wave that's really you know chat gpt has really only been out probably what 14 months and and if 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 the case law, if the case is going to take 10 years, I mean, who knows what things will look like down the road? And it's just a perfect illustration of what you were saying then.
0: Yep. Yep. Which is why I will be following this case with mass interest. But yeah, it's uh, a I'm really curious to see what the response will be, because the complaint, as expected, was really strong. Um, But whatever I think New York Times is always like they're there to make precedent, you know. They're not really there to settle and just take the money. They're really there to change precedent for the future. So, I'm I don't think they'll just like go away.
1: Yeah, especially if they if they've taken on if they've used Sussman Godfrey, you know, it's it's a legit firm. They're probably well well funded, so it's not going to be a quick settlement. And, you know, what I personally will be finding interesting is just reading the commentary. And I don't know if CC you're going to write about it, but like I've been following Cecilia Zanidi. I don't know if y'all know her. She's the former GC of Replit, I think. Uh, She's been doing some great coverage of the case law developments, case developments in this case. Uh, And also Ben Thompson of Stratechery who has like this business tech view of it. I always find that it really interesting to view the, see the uh, differences between the lawyer's view and the business tech world's view. And they're often very different.
2: What did you see? Like what's the difference between the two? Because I would imagine like, I would imagine, and I saw that thread you're referencing um, and it was much more of like, this is a, Slammed on case like this is a really right. So what was I guess what was the business perspective of it?
1: So I'm going to be very kind of uh, show my bias. Like I think that lawyers view things very much in the scheme of this is these are the rules and we got to follow the rules. But when you look at business and tech, it's like we have technology that can do some incredible things. The laws are not up. The rules are not updated to 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 enable this this innovation and so I think that's the the vibe you get from there I mean if you look back at like something like Airbnb you know they ran into similar issues where um you know are they a hotel are they not um and and so the law takes a while to catch up and so the business tech view is always like why is the law moving so slowly whereas the legal view is always uh, how can these people be breaking the rules and 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 not following them
2: it's like a it's like a classic public policy versus law argument only like it's not the joke is right. Like you argue public policy when you don't have anything else here. It's kind of, it's a little different where you're arguing public policy because you're actually, actually that matters because you do want to see the growth of this, this new AI, generative AI and everything that's coming with it. Um, and then you're on the lawyer side. You're like, well, I don't care about public policy. I, I know what the law, I know what the current regime looks like. This doesn't fit. This doesn't work. So it's a, it's it's an interesting point you raise.
0: It's weird that uh, Cecilia Zaniti thinks it's a slam dunk case, because I actually think it's a little less certain than that, just because historically, the courts have had a really hard time grappling with technology and like understanding the tech behind things. And there's a whole realm of cases that I actually think aren't rightly decided under the law, but kind of show a, a lack of understanding of technology. But because they don't understand technology, they tend to overuse. Fair use. They're like, oh, I don't quite understand it, but it seems like it's a public good, so therefore a fair use. Um, I mean, that's how Google Books came out. They were like, it seems like a public good. Like we all want to be able to search books. This is great, even though you know, facially they are just reproducing a bunch of books. They are just displaying a bunch of books without permission. Um, So, like, I, I guess that's where i wonder about the open ai cases will the judges who will be deciding this genuinely understand the ramifications of the technology or will they be like i like using it as a consumer and it helps me so and therefore like fair fair use
2: public policy versus the actual regime in place. No, I agree. I, I will say like, I don't think she said it was, a, I, I'm using the term slam dunk. I think she thought it was, a, I thought she thought it was a strong case.
0: It, it was. Yes. Very, yeah. very well, well complained.
2: I know. God, we're all such lawyers. Very well drafted complaint. I, I have, it's, this is awesome. But, but again, it kind of goes to that point, right? Like it, 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 it's it's outside of the realm of arguing public policy because you don't have an argument you're actually arguing public policy because in this case public policy is an incredibly strong argument where don't you want to see this evolve with us don't you want to see this innovation change the landscape and and provide a public good for the rest of us and in the same breath i mean it's their it's their ip it's their stories it's their reporting it's their things that they have done that they put this hard work into that they've created so it's like it's it's really interesting to see that because again my background like when i would see cases where you'd be like but your honor the law doesn't make sense that was not persuasive you know that wasn't persuasive that was like all right man (laughs) nice (laughs) why don't you just slam the table next
1: i'm curious where where did this where did they file the suit like is it
0: sdny it's
1: interesting uh cc do you know where the google case was what what, took place was it was it northern district of california the second circuit case so, second circuit. so interesting. yeah
0: yeah so I, I Goog- want... this google books is like binding precedent
1: i find that interesting because um you know my very general view of it is that judges tend to want to do the fair thing um the fair thing happens to be different depending on you know culturally you know uh you know where you where the court sits like i think northern district of california where you know tech is big they might have a different view of what's fair um but but yeah ai does i think ai is different because everyone's played with chat gpt as we talked about like weeks ago like everyone's familiar with this technology to some extent
2: some of these orders might be drafted in part by chat gpt <laughs>
1: that would be great yeah I, the law clerks are like oh those fools who are like using it to hallucinate cases they're just noobs like if you're really gonna do it, you're gonna do it the way we do it and make it look like it's the court's opinion. So
2: I would that would make you laugh so hard if like the first like the scheduling order comes out and it's like clearly drafted by ChatGPT. You'd be like, bias, <laughs> disqualify. Um, but that's that's a fair point.
0: I also wonder if uh, OpenAI will right now do some things to make the allegations under the complaint like impossible right like maybe have some paywall restrictions or just like change the product offering so that by the time the court considers it it's moot in some way yeah um i'm not suggesting anything so open ai this is not free legal advice cece
1: we are a podcast not a law firm (laughs) we just have law firms (laughs) I also thought it was interesting that they um they posted something on their website OpenAI did. Um, and and you know the I think the what is it the the standard legal advice is to like just trust your lawyers and let them do whatever internally with the case. Uh, they went out and they posted something and it, it makes me wonder if they are thinking of this not as a narrow like law case like or litigation but they're thinking of it more broadly. Um you know they are um in a, in a fight with Anthropic, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not, it's not just them. There's other AI providers. And so they're, I think that they're, they're thinking of this case uh, as it fits into a larger strategy rather than just like, Hey, we got to win this case on the, on the legal merits.
2: There's other cases too. I mean, there's the Sarah Silverman case. There's another writer's case. I mean, my gosh, how many open AI class actions are there already? Um, so, I mean, this has, I mean, this has some real value because of how many other cases are out there. And also the attorneys fees associated with those class actions, like, I mean, they are probably. I've. I, I mean, I've, i They. They are treading. They are treading lightly. I'm sure in what they're doing right now on the internet because anything that they do. I mean, obviously it's like a subsequent remedial action, but like they're being they're being very cognizant of what they're doing and the implication on not just the New York case, but every other case that they have, which is like seven, eight, nine of those cases.
0: Yep. Yep. Um. Oh, and I think I have to disclose here, guys, that uh, representing OpenAI and Microsoft is my old firm, so this is not. Uh, this is not any connection there, but full disclosure.
2: Wait, can I give a disclosure? I have never represented any of those people. I, they would not hire me. If they did, I would... (laughs) That would be great. Please call me. I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um
0: Nah, they would turn you from insignificant law into significant law.
1: Significant significant law energy. Thank you, Cece. I I was thinking of where to fit that in. I couldn't think of a good place to fit it in.
2: You guys are so ridiculous. Can we just like make mugs or something and sell it? That's that is my that is my IP. I swear then, you know, I'll have my own OpenAI case now. It would, it would be really funny. That I would take this whole thing full circle is if you look on ChatGPT right now and if you type in either insignificant law energy or my name, either is associated, and that would for me that would make that would mean a lot to me. That would be perfect.
1: If you're listening OpenAI, that's a great way to end the episode today. We'll leave it on that then. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Obviously, keep the comments rolling. Love the public shout outs on social media uh and catch y'all next week in the next episode
0: thanks guys yeah Bye, bye guys